welcoming the name of the Lord. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter three. We will be reading this morning verses one through 13. Following our reading of the scriptures, we will pray. Genesis chapter three, verses one through 13. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit or that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called out to the man and said to him where are you and he said I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself he said who told you that you were naked Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, Spirit, we do exalt Praise and glorify your name and who you are this morning. Thank you for giving to us the Lord's Day Sabbath. Thank you for setting it apart for us as a means of grace. Thank you that we have come this morning by your grace, that it is you who has awoken us this morning, and that it is you, Lord, who has given us the strength and desire to come and to enjoy the benefits that are provided for us here today among the saints. We pray that you would now give to us the strength, the understanding, the the hearing and the desire to believe and obey all that is said in your word today, that you would use me for your glory as I decrease so that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We return, brothers and sisters, to the text that we have all Whether we are young or or whether we are old, we have all at some point heard in our lives the crafty, cunning serpent comes to the woman with deception on his false tongue. She is his target and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is his bait. She was innocent, created in the image of God, created upright created as a helpmate and companion for the man. But I wonder if you have ever considered 
considered the fact that sin and disobedience were the furthest things from the woman's mind before she even met the serpent. Meaning, we are given no indication that the man or the woman desired anything more than perfect obedience to their creator up until that point. So then it begs the question, what happened? How did this happen? How could this happen? How did a man and a woman created in the image of God, created perfect, upright, fall to such depths? How could the world, and listen, brothers and sisters, literally, the world be at your feet and yet be traded for a piece of fruit? What would possess a man, what would possess a woman, to do such a thing? This morning, we will seek, with God's help, to to answer some maybe obvious and maybe not so obvious questions concerning the text that we are all too familiar with. So this morning we have three questions. Here's the first one. What happened? Our our first point is a question. What happened? When the Lord God came to walk in the garden during the cool of the day, his first man is hiding among the trees. The Lord God asked the man three questions. First question, verse 9, where are you? Where are you? Now, did the Lord God know where Adam was? Of course he did. The Lord God knew where Adam was, but was giving Adam, calling Adam to give an account for what he had done. Adam, where are you? What have you done? Here's the second question, verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? Once again, the Lord God had understood and known what had transpired, but gave the man, the one in charge, the one responsible, the one who had authority over all of the earth. He gave him a second opportunity to give an account for what he had done. Third question. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Three questions and three opportunities, as it were, to give an account for himself and for his actions. But he does not. Instead, he shifts the blame to his wife, the woman you gave me. She gave to me the fruit, and I ate. Fourth question to mankind, as it were. Woman, what have you done? And the woman responds. She answers our first question. What happened? And here's the answer. Verse 13. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. What happened? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Both Adam and the woman, she's not yet called Eve, both Adam and the woman disobeyed the command of God. God's command is God's law. And the man and the woman sinned against the law of God. Brothers and sisters, what is sin? Think about that. If you were asked to define it in so many words, how would you define sin? What is sin? Question 17 of the Baptist Catechism asks, what is sin? Answer, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. The Apostle Paul said concerning sin in 1 John 3, 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. Sin is lawlessness. 
Sin is disobedience against what God has commanded. Sin is lawlessness. It is without law, violation of law, God's law. Often we consider sin to be those things that God has commanded us not to do. We shall not have any other gods before him. We shall not take his name in vain. We shall not lie, steal, or kill. But sin, brothers and sisters, is not only doing what you are not supposed to do. It is not only doing what God has commanded you not to do. It is also not doing what God has commanded you to do. Amen. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Give to the poor. Clothe the naked. Love and forgive one another. There is a positive and negative aspect to the commands of God, which if they are violated, result both negatively. If you disobey the positive commands of God, do this. Or disobey the commands of God, do not do this. The result is both equally negative. Brothers and sisters, we are held accountable to what God has commanded. Listen, whether we know what he has commanded via being created in the image of God or through what he has revealed to us in his word, we are held culpable, responsible for what God has said, for what God has commanded. Therefore, let us be diligent to know what God has commanded, to know what God has said for his people. Let me also say concerning sin. Sin does not exist in the way that you and I exist. Pause on that thought. Sin does not exist in the way that you and I exist. Sin is not tangible. Sin is not touchable. Uh, Sin is not an entity that is hiding in the bushes waiting for you. Sin is not under your bed going to grab your feet when you step out of your bed in the evening. Sin is not waiting to grab you through dark alleys. My son, during family worship, would often used to say, would often say, I hate sin. As if sin was, believing that sin was an actual person. Brothers and sisters, sin is disobedience. It is something that we do relative to the law of God. It is an action that we take, not a person that we avoid. You got that? We cannot point to something creaturely and say that is sin. Creation and matter are not sinful, as it were. But as a result of the fall, they are cursed. But that does not mean that there is something tangible, touchable, that is causing people to sin or to act in sinful ways. Sin means that we're broken. That we are depraved in our minds and in our hearts. Where man should be upright and obedient to God's law. He is the opposite. He is a slave to sin because his mind is polluted. Because his heart is polluted. This is important, brothers and sisters. Because it then personalizes sin. It's not something that someone did to you. Sin is not out there. It is our disobedience. It is our brokenness. It is our sin. And and sin is also not temptation. Are you with me? The Lord Jesus was tempted, was he not? But yet without sin. Being tempted and sinning are two different things. We we bear no guilt for temptation that we endure. But we do bear guilt for sin that we commit. For violation of what God has commanded. The act, the fact that you encountered uh, temptation does not mean that that you have sinned. 
How did you respond to the temptation? Did you develop it? Did you keep it in your mind? It may be grievous that you are encountering temptation. But yet if you resisted, you can praise God that you did not give in to that temptation. Amen. What's what's worse, the temptation or the sin? The sin. And praise God that you are able to, by his grace, resist the sin. But this once again personalizes sin. So then what happened? Very simply, the man and the woman sinned. They disobeyed the command of God. Secondly, question, how did this happen? How did this happen? And the question may appear to have an obvious answer, but what would you say? If it was someone was asking you, how did all of this happen? The question is not, uh, what did they do, but rather, how did they fall? The woman has already given us the answer to this question in verse 13. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Brothers and sisters, Satan did not deceive Adam. Adam was not deceived. He deceived the woman. And Adam was then led astray by the woman. How did we come to that conclusion? As one of my professors often says, God told me. In his word. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Adam was not deceived. The woman was deceived. And then the woman led Adam astray. How was the woman deceived? Satan used the form of a serpent to engage in a conversation with the woman. He said in verse 1, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The serpent came to the woman with a knowledge already of what God had commanded. But what does he do to God's command? He distorts God's word. He twists God's word. He knew very well that God had commanded that not every tree should be restricted in the garden. But he gets the woman to focus on the one thing that God has forbade. Is it true that that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Oh, no, serpent. We may eat of all of the trees except for one. There was nothing inherently evil about the tree. Remember we talked about that? It was a tree. It was not shining. It was not glowing. It was not sparkling as we often see it in in movies and in in books. It was a tree. Nothing evil about the tree until God commanded that we must abstain from that tree. Then to partake of that tree then became evil and disobedience. And what did the woman say? We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Listen to what else he says. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did God say that part? As far as we know, as recorded in Scripture, we do not know that God said, don't touch it either. It is the woman, not the serpent, who first makes mention of the tree. And just like that, just like that, she has crawled into the serpent's snare. Just like that, she has crawled into the serpent's trap. And how so? Brothers and sisters, how so? The woman fell prey to the serpent's snare. Why? How? By entertaining a conversation with the serpent. 
Think about that. Who initiated the conversation? The woman or the serpent? The serpent. And what does she do? Does she turn? Does she rebuke? She engages. She engages this serpent. Her first mistake was walking into unknown and therefore dangerous territory. And what do I mean by that? It should have struck the woman strange that this serpent was even speaking to her. When's the last time you had an animal speak to you? Now, I know that there have been times in our lives when we think things are speaking to us. I won't go there with you, but you remember those days. Animals don't talk. And especially animals do not question the commands of God, but she entertains the dragon. She engages conversation with him. She humors him as she corrects his misunderstanding of what God has said. Let us not entertain sin. Let us not engage sin. Let us not place ourselves in unfamiliar and therefore dangerous situations. Let us avoid every appearance, even the appearance of evil. The woman engages in conversation with the serpent. And it was as she engaged the serpent that she became deceived and led astray. It was as she entertained the serpent that she was led to sin. When our Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do when the serpent first engaged him, initiated conversation with him? Did he engage? No. Each and every time he rebuked Satan with God's word. He did not entertain him. He did not humor him. But with every single temptation, he accurately stated what God had said, even though Satan tried to twist God's words. The Lord Jesus Christ accurately and correctly said, thus saith the Lord. Let that be our response to sin and temptation. Let that be our response each time Satan initiates you, initiates conversation with you, initiates uh, temptations with you. Respond with what God has said. Don't say, well, you're right. Maybe it won't be so bad. Maybe it will give me what you're promising it will give me. Maybe it won't happen to me. The woman entertains the serpent, gives him her, her full attention as he continues his deceit. What does he say? You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Dear woman, Fruit does not kill you. You've been eating fruit all of this time. All of this time you've been eating fruit. Have you died? You're still alive. No, woman, you are being deceived. You are being withheld from your destiny. You could be like God. And what constitutes godhood, deity, in the estimation of the serpent? Knowing good and evil. We'll return to this point. But how did we get to this point? How do we get to the place where the woman. Who had a knowledge of what God had commanded. Is now examining the tree. But doing so out of temptation. Doing so out of a desire to. To partake in what God has forbidden. We are here. 
Because the woman loosened her grip on God's word. We are here because she threw the law of God to the wayside. As long as the woman believed that God's word was true and that it was good, she would not disobey. But the moment she entertains the idea that that God may be untrue, that God may be withholding goodness from her, she views this forbidden tree and the forbidden fruit with new eyes. She wants to be made wise. She wants to be like God. And she is willing to violate the commands of God in order to achieve her goals. Did you notice that Satan did did not say you must uh, uh, disobey? Satan did not give her the option obey or disobey. Satan did not put a gun to her head. Or fangs to her neck. Rather. He almost innocently presented just another way to think. And she freely chose her own path. And yet, truly deceived. Freely choosing her own path and yet truly deceived. The serpent successfully clouded the truth in the mind of the woman. The serpent got to to think got the woman to think about herself and no one else, to imagine herself on the throne of God. And she took the bait. Now, here's a very important question. Where was Adam? Where was Adam? Our scriptures say that Adam was charged with authority over the the whole earth. Was he not also deceived? Brothers and sisters, Mankind made in the image of God, charged with uh, dominion over the entire earth, according to the scriptures. Adam was not deceived, but led astray by the woman. Or to put it in the mouth of our Lord and God, he said, Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate of the fruit that I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Therefore, he is cursed. Why? Because you listened to the voice of your wife. Adam, you were given a direct command from God, your creator. Do not eat. Life and death were laid at your feet. And you had nothing standing in your way to keep you from obedience. But you, freely able to sin, freely able not to sin, chose to listen to your wife rather than to your creator. Think about that. Husbands and wives, you are often placed in situations where it is God's word or it is what makes my wife and my husband comfortable and happy. Always choose what God has said. Always choose what God has said. Always choose what God has said. And be gracious and patient to the one who is slow coming. Amen. Was he present during the deception? If we're reading the ESV, the Bible says in the ESV, and gave some to her husband who was with her. But if you read the original Hebrew text, it reads differently. It reads, and gave some to her husband with her. The ESV adds, who was with her. The original Hebrew text says, with her. Now, there is a lot of meaning concerning with her, meaning that is her husband, that is the one who she is with, but not necessarily who was with her. 
Amen. That makes sense? So then, when did the leading astray take place? While, he was, while she was being deceived or shortly thereafter? Again, the Apostle Paul singles out in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, that the woman, the woman was deceived. Our confession in chapter 6, paragraph 1, the serpent seduced Eve, and Eve then led Adam astray or seduced Adam. So was Adam there? We can't know for sure. But the information is simple. The woman was deceived. The man, was then, the man then listened to his wife and was led astray by the woman disobeying what God commanded. How did this happen? The serpent deceived the woman. The man listened to the voice of his wife and they both sinned. Number three. Why? Why would these two sin? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Why? Brothers and sisters, what was the allure of the tree? What was it that brought sinless, perfect humanity? Down to the depths of depravity. Why did this sinless woman look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with lust in her eyes? Why did she in her flesh crave this fruit? What caused the pride of life to to well up in her like a volcano ready to erupt? Think back to what the serpent promised. You could be like God. Satan said to the woman, God is keeping you from something good. And what is that good? Godhood. Deity. Brothers and sisters, how did the dragon define godhood? What constituted deity? You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. How? Knowing good and evil. What was the promise? The forbidden fruit is not bad. It's good. It's good because it will make you like God. And what is God like? God knows all things. God is all powerful. God possesses all truth. God is almighty, etc., etc. You will be like God knowing good and evil. What's the name of the tree? The tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. By its very name, it appears to possess a quality to make one wise, to give to one that which belongs inherently to God, the knowledge of good and evil. So then we ask the question again, why did this happen? Why would they sin? Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. And they believed that their pursuits were, were, were good. Even though the road that they took to achieve those pursuit, those goals were, was wrong. They believed they were doing and pursuing a good thing that was wrongly ordered. They ate and they disobeyed. I'd like you to notice for a moment and, and maybe think for a second. Would the tree give to the ones who ate the knowledge of good and evil? Would it? What do you say? 
What did God say? Verse 22. The Lord God said, behold, the man has become like us, one of us, knowing what? So was the serpent lying? Was he lying? What did God say? They have become like us, knowing good and evil. Was he lying? Yes, he was lying. How? Half-truths. A half-truth is still a lie. Half-truths. Twisting of truths. Empty promises. Empty shells. They did have a knowledge of good and evil. But in what way did they possess this knowledge of good and evil? How did they achieve it? God, Adam, the woman, even Satan, all have a knowledge or a relationship to the knowledge of good and evil. But each, each of them in, in, in relationship to who they are and what they are. They all have a relationship to knowledge of good and evil, but in accordance to who and what they are. The knowledge of good and evil. What is it? What is that? It is God's law. The law commands what is good and forbids what is evil. Amen. You can know the law. You can know what is good and command it in a variety of ways. You can know it as as the one who is commanding or as the one who is being commanded. You can know the knowledge of good and evil. God is justice. God is goodness. Brothers and sisters, God is the law. The law is the manifestation of the holy character of God. God is the law. Which is why, therefore, those who reject the law are either wittingly or unwittingly slandering the very holy nature of God, the very holy character of God. The Lord God does not subscribe or submit to some law, but rather he is the law. The law comes forth from God, which means that God knows the law in a way that no one else can know. Why? Because it is his holy character and it is good. Amen. Only God knows what is good perfectly. How? Because only God is good. And only God knows himself fully and completely. So God knows good in a way that we will never be able to know good because only God is good. Adam and Eve and Satan and you and I, we know good. We know good as those who have, been, uh, who have good written on our hearts written on our minds as image bearers of God or as God has revealed himself to us in his word. That's how we know what is good. But we will never know good the way God knows good. Because only God is good. And only God fully knows himself. Amen. Does God know evil? Does God know evil? What is evil? Brothers and sisters, evil is not externally existing again. It's not an entity, entity somewhere out there. Evil is disobedience. It is our own sinful choices. So then how does God know evil? We know that God knows good, but how is it that God knows evil? 
As we stated before, each and every creature has a knowledge or relationship to good and to evil that is in accordance with who and what they are. So then, what is God's relationship to evil? How does God know it? How does he have a knowledge of it? God is holy. He is sinless and will not be associated with sin. But he knows evil. And he knows evil in a way that he alone will fully understand, which is what? God knows the consequences of departing from his law. What are the consequences of departing from God's law? His wrath. And who knows the wrath of God better than the one from whom it comes from? God. God knows it. God knows the punishment and the death that is laid before man and woman and even the serpent for their disobedience. He has eternally willed this to be. Amen. All that God has willed is good. And those who rebel against what God has revealed and what God has willed will experience his wrath. Amen. God has eternally willed that those who violate his commands will face punishment. And it is reserved for those who are evil. Adam and the woman prior to the fall. Did they know good and evil? Yes. How? As ones who were commanded. They understood as ones who were commanded. They understood the command. They knew that to eat was not good. And to abstain was good. Satan came to the woman and reversed this truth. Eat and it's good. Don't eat and it's bad. You can know evil as the creator and commander or as the creature and the one violating the command of God. The man and the woman knew good and they knew evil. But once they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they acquired knowledge of good and evil. How? Horrifically. Tragically. Listen. Experientially. The man and the woman now knew the knowledge of good and evil. How? Through actually doing evil. They knew good. How? Because they knew it was good to obey, but they did not. Brothers and sisters, that is written now on our hearts or has been written on our hearts. We know what is good and we know what it is to do evil. The Lord God does not know evil experientially, but he understands even further than we do. The depths of sin and disloyalty as he has prepared punishment for those who disobey. That's how he knows. Not experientially. Not like you and I know. But he has reserved punishment for those who do violate his law. That's how he knows. Their eyes were opened. They wanted the knowledge of good and evil. But they did not understand the depths of their, of their disobedience. Can you turn that on, brother, please? Death was not only placed before Adam. Life was also placed before Adam. If he would have obeyed. He would have known or gained knowledge of good and evil through what? Obedience. Satan deceived them, the woman and then the woman, the man, to get to that place through disobedience rather than through obedience. If they would have obeyed, they would have known, they would have had the knowledge of good and evil through obedience. But rather they disobeyed and they learned the knowledge of good and evil through disobedience. Like a... Like a child who murders his parents in order to gain their inheritance 
rather than being grateful for what has been laid up for the obedient child and faithfully receive what has been laid up for them. The man and the woman attempted to get to their end goal by shortcutting the way God had intended them to get there. Beware, men and women. Beware of the allure of chasing something that you think may give to you status or power or prestige or honor. For Adam and the woman, what was that, that, that thing that they thought that would get them prestige and power and honor? It was knowledge. Knowledge is what they thought would bring them there. Knowledge can be dangerous. Brothers and sisters, knowledge can be dangerous. Scripture warns what against knowledge? What does it do? It can puff you up. What is that, being puffed up? Knowledge can make you consumed with yourself. It could make you arrogant because you have acquired understanding. I've been in church for 38 years. I have been a minister for nearly 20 years. In that time, I have fallen prey to this, to a sense of pride because what, listen, because of what God has allowed me to know and to understand. And I have too often seen other men and women be puffed up with pride because of what God has allowed them to know. God allowed it. God allowed them to know. It didn't come up in their own mind. God allowed this. Either what they know or what they think they know and won't, can be, and won't be convinced otherwise. Imagine that. God has graciously given a person a gift of understanding and we take it and because we are sinners, allow it to make us look down on others because they don't know what we know. I have been a culprit. And I have seen time and time again those heading in the same direction. They begin humble, as I did. They begin hungry, as I did. They begin teachable, as I did. And before you know it, they are arrogant, puffed up, and you can't tell them anything. Those who seek knowledge, ask yourself, why do I want this? I wish that there was someone there that could have asked Eve, why do you want this? But she knew the answer in her own mind. Be honest with yourself, why? Those who are seeking knowledge, why? To win a debate... At your workplace, at the gym, so the next time you can slay someone with what you know? Do you desire to know so that you can say you know just as much as the next man? Is this a competition? And in the reformed world, it has a tendency to be that those who know the most are the most, are the most exalted. Do you desire to always be right and never be wrong? Are you offended when you're wrong? That's pride. That's sin. None of these things are helpful to the body of Christ. They are only hurtful. And what happens? What's the result? There's a small group of guys who like to get together and dissect words and define terms and debate one another. And you can't even have a normal conversation with them. 
They are dangerous. And imagine sitting around for hours, dissecting and breaking down words when there is a lost and dying world who could be reached at least once a month at this church, giving away food and giving something to drink with a simple gospel message of turn from your sins and be saved. What seems more like knowledge? This or that? That. That. Beware of pride. As an elder, I warn you, beware of pride. Beware of prideful. And God, keep me from pride. If you seek knowledge, let it be so that you might worship God in a more reverent way. That you might be a blessing to his church and to the world. Brothers and sisters, also may I ask, how self-centered are your beliefs and your actions? How central is God's law and his commands to your lives? Is it a guide for your life or is it something that you keep running into and tripping over? Let us not be like our first parents. Who when confronted with their sin, blame the next man. Instead of taking responsibility for their own actions, get rid of the victim mentality. Get rid of the victim mentality. We, are live, we live in a culture that is plagued with the victim mentality. Everything is everyone else's fault and everyone else owes me. I had bad parents, a bad neighborhood, bad school, bad finances. We all did. All of us did. You're not special. You're not unique. It's called a fallen world. The world is cursed because of sin. And yet, it is still our choice, and it is still our fault, not the next man's. My wife says to me all the time, my siblings and I grew up in the same house. And they tried to use excuses that I know I can't because I'm responsible for what I do. I could easily make the same excuses, but I won't. I'm responsible. God has given me the gospel. I am now culpable, responsible for what I do. When it comes to our lives, we are not victims. When it comes to sin, we broke God's law. We chose to sin. Don't, don't use, I, I have an addictive personality as your excuse. What are you saying when you say I have an addictive personality? You are saying what we all say. We are sinners by nature. We all have addictive personalities. We are all sinners. No excuse. Don't try to use Paul's lament. I don't do what I want to do. No, you do do what you want to do. I don't do what I want to do is often in retrospect, not at the moment. Not at the moment of sin. At the moment of sin, you did what you wanted to do. And it's only thereafter that you say, I do not do what I want to do. You did what you want to do. You did what you want to do, right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Especially if you're a believer. Especially if you're a believer. If you're a non-believer, you're a sinner. You're doing exactly what you want to do and you love it. If you are a believer, you are sinning. And it's only thereafter because you are filled with the Holy Spirit that you realize you are wrong. We are all guilty for our sin. No one else. Don't even blame God, James says. Don't say that when I am sinning, it is God who is leading me into sin. God does not have any association with sin. No, it is our own sin. And when we take responsibility for our sins, it transforms relationships. 
When we take responsibility, when you declare and take responsibility for your sins, the, the light of the gospel shines forth. Why? Because you know you are a sinner in need of grace and in need of a savior. If you don't take responsibility, what does that show? It is evidence that we have not been transformed by the Holy Spirit, that we are not who we claim to be and that we are who we once were still. We ought to love one another. We ought to forgive one another. We should never cease or divide relationships with another person simply based upon, listen to this, unforgiveness. Think about that. I don't forgive you. I'm a believer. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that I have been forgiven, but I don't forgive you. Does that make any sense? And don't say, I forgive, I love you, but I can't be around you anymore. How does that mean? What if the Lord Jesus Christ treated the church the way we often treat the church? That we look at the church and say, as my, I listened to a sermon of my dad's over the, over the past weekend. He said, Christians are just waiting for you to say something, do something, look at me the wrong way, act the wrong way for me to say, I'm out of here. Give me, a, give me a, a reason. Give me one reason. And I'm gone. Imagine if Christ treated his bride the way we treat his bride. Just give me a reason. Give me a look. I dare you. I'm gone. Imagine that. Imagine that. Holy Ghost filled. My dad said in that sermon, Christians are loving until you make them mad. Maybe I should play one of his sermons just once one of these days. You think I'm hard. You think you're offended by me. You don't know what I had to go through. You think I'm sharp. Some people can't even take straight talk. Big old babies. Let me slow down. Do you say love God? You love God and won't forgive your neighbor? Oh, dear brother, sister, that's not who we are supposed to be. And what kind of a witness is that to the world? Especially to your, your, your workplace people. I'm leaving my church. Why? I don't like the way they act. What kind of, of, of response do they get when they, well, how do you think they think when they hear you say, ah, I'm leaving my church. Ah, you know what? I just don't like, and they're not church goers. They're not believers. And yet you are now painting for them a picture of what the church is like, which usually is, yep, just like I thought all those church people. They say, well, they're not all like that. Just that one church until you go to the next one. If you keep going to churches, looking for perfect churches, brother, sister, don't go to church then. You won't find one. You won't. But if you're gracious, if you understand we all have flaws, that we all are in need of grace, you'll be more patient when you come to a church and it happens to not be exactly up to par with what you think the standard. And who makes you the standard of what's right and wrong? By the way, I listened to my dad's sermon the other day. I'm sorry. Don't blame your sin on anyone but yourself. We must take responsibility. Be fighting sin. Be fighting sin. You are not more cursed than the next man. Be fighting sin. Don't play the victim. John Owen said, be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. 
There are often times when we end with trust in Christ. Yes. As I look around, I, I believe from what I see, we have all done that. And as we are walking toward the path that leads to Christ, be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. Let us stand.